Good morning, everyone. What a blessing to be back here again for the second time to share God's Word to you this morning. And, um, well, as if you were here last time when I was sharing the Word of God, I endeavored to flash on the screen the picture of my family and with a wish that actually, like, if I'd be here for the second time, I would like to bring my family with me. Unfortunately, I was not able to, but I was able to bring one with me today. And it's my son, Tim, over there. And he is here in Canada for, to spend his summer with us here in Edmonton. Um, he's going on his sophomore at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And our, sec- our, first, uh, our eldest one, uh, EJ, is, uh, has just graduated last June, and we had a privilege to go there in Toronto. Um, and God has a wonderful plan for his life as well. And uh, today, uh, this year, he is interning with Power to Change and um, praying that uh, God will, will send him to, uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ in East Asia. So if you can remember him in prayer, uh, please uh, do so, and we would surely welcome that. Um, well, today is, well, this year is, we are celebrating the, uh, a, a great milestone of our country, you know, happy 150th uh, year of this beautiful and wonderful country of, of Canada. If you notice in our, in our um, national anthem, it's actually a prayer, right? It's actually a prayer. And uh, remember these words, make it, Lord, make it glorious and free. And I hope that we resonate with that as well. And you know what? We can be the answers to that prayer as well. We stand guard on thee, and we are the prime movers of standing guard for the freedom of our nation. We are the vanguards of truth and justice and love because of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And God has called us to be His vessels, to be shining light in this dark, confused, and even violent world. We may not feel it yet at this point, but I could sense that there is this growing hostility toward Christianity. But we are not to be scared. Rather, we are to look up, you know, and, and look to the Lord, for Jesus is in control, right? He is the ruler. Yeah, God is sovereign over us. And today, I would like to endeavor to, for us to go back to the basics of our Christian faith. It is important for us to go back to the basics, just like Michael Jordan, for example, you know, when he coaches people or, or, or his team, he would encourage them to go back to the basic. Not because it is elementary, but because it is foundational. Basics of the Christian faith is foundational in our life and in our journey here on, on this earth. So why don't we bow down together in prayer and ask God to speak to us in a very special way today. Father God, thank you that you are God who is sovereign over this nation. You're sovereign over all the peoples that are in this beautiful country. And you are sovereign over our lives as your children, as your church. Oh God, I pray that you will breathe your breath upon us. May your Holy Spirit 
shine upon us, Lord. Fall afresh on us that we may become the shining light in this darkened world. Lord, shine on us, Lord, that we may fulfill the calling that you have called us to do, to be the salt and light in this restless and confused world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, every time I am given the privilege to be speaking in other churches, in churches other than the gathering church, I, I really, you know, do it with joy because of the fact that partnership is very important. We, we work as a team. Although I belong to another congregation, you know, we're still one in Jesus Christ. And we belong to one denomination, isn't it? And last weekend, uh, last week we had a privilege to attend this, um, the National Assembly of the ba- Baptist General Conference. And, and, and there was the uh, Provincial Assembly followed after that, that followed uh, after that event. Uh, I don't know if you have heard what happened during that time. That during the, the National Conference, uh, I wasn't there, but I went to the Provincial. But during the National uh, Today Conference, I heard, I received a news from one of our representatives of the Gathering Church that there was this fellow pastor who was being conferred of his honorary doctorate degree by the uh, Canadian Baptist Seminary. And during that time, he was there. He was in his robe, right? And uh, the whole family of this dear, dear pastor was with him during that glorious ceremony. And as the, 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 the professors were saying words of, of encouragement and honor to this man of God, um, he succumbed to a severe heart attack. Right there and then, at the stage, and he left the earth and be with Jesus, to be with Jesus in eternity. Wow. For sure it was a sad moment for the whole family. And of course, during the whole time when, when, when all the pastors and participants were there, I went to the, to the provincial uh, assembly on Saturday. That happened on Friday. And on Saturday I was there and I, I heard the wife and the son speak to the, to the participants and they were just, of course, they, you would sense that, 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 that sadness in their hearts, right? But at the same time, I could sense joy exuding their, in their hearts as well. Okay. You know, and I remember the daughter saying these words, I know that the Lord put it all together in a glorious way. He was honored there for his honorary doctorate degree. But they also witnessed an even glorious graduation right there and then, you know, as he went to the Lord in eternity. For sure, we could sense that atmosphere of joy in the midst of sadness and grief, but having that confidence in their hearts that this great man of God, a veteran missionary in India, and in, uh, as a pastor in BC, you know, for joining uh, our Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. Now, this glorious incident is a stark reminder for us. It's a stark reminder for all of us of the brevity of life and the certainty of death. It reminds us that we are just a breath away into eternity. 
life on this earth could be taken away from us so suddenly and instantly and even without warning. That question is, are we ready? That's a very basic question, isn't it? Are we ready? I know many of us know the, quest, know the answer already. But it is important for us, it is just but fitting for us to, to reflect on how we should live our lives now to make us ready for that glorious time when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ in death or when He returns for the second time. It all depends on how we live our lives now. As followers of Christ, as the title says, we are to live differently on this earth. Okay? We are to embrace the reality of the world to come. In other words, we are to have this eternal perspective. We live our lives now in light of the not yet. We live our lives uh, having this, embracing this eternal perspective, and it should change everything in this world. This means that we should no longer embrace the values of this world. Yes, we live in this world, but we don't belong in this world. We belong to this world that is yet to come. It is here, but it is still coming. Money, things, time, friends, enemies, family, and life itself are to be adjusted to their appropriate worth and place. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are no longer gripped by the things that are temporal, but rather embrace that which lasts for eternity. And you know the reason why? Because we are made for that. We are created for an eternal, unhindered relationship with God, to enjoy Him forever. But as we all know in the story, the grand, in the grand scheme of things, sin altered the landscape and brought us to believe that this world is all we have. There is this teaching that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Ignore the trials and problems of life. Life is to be enjoyed by those who have the health and money to enjoy it. So get all the gusto out of life possible and do your own thing. That is the narrative of the world, isn't it? And thankfully, this is not the only world. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, connects us to the eternal world to come. Jesus is the answer on how we can live here in light of there, the world to come, eternity. And we can certainly learn from the life and perspective of this great apostle, the Apostle Paul, through his life and example. We can learn that as we live our lives on this side of heaven, we can learn the discipline of letting go. That's the basic important element of living our life differently on this earth. Letting go of those things that grip our lives and try to build, that try to cloud or distort the reality of the eternal world to come. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 to 11. And I'll be reading it from the uh, English Standard Version. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself had reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is what Paul said. Paul, the apostle, has learned to let go of those nice things that he realized don't really matter after all. Paul, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, now understands that we relate to God not by religion, not by right living, but by the righteousness that Christ Jesus gives us as a free gift. As Christians, we must learn these three things that I would like to highlight in our reflection this morning. Point one, let us go off religion and our futile efforts of trying to be good enough. Okay. Let go of religion and our futile efforts of trying to be good enough. Paul said, watch out for those dogs, this, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons for that confidence in the flesh, I have more, said Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless or blameless. Wow. Paul, the apostle, was the valedictorian of self-righteousness, as he said in his, his testimony. You know what? We represent, he represents all of us in this world that there is this deep longing for God. There is this universal feeling that we all need to have a relationship with God. We have a sense of God, but we sense that there is something wrong between us and God. We lack that perfect assurance and confidence that we please God enough to be acceptable to Him. That was Paul's narrative. That was his feeling when he was a Pharisee. He was hoping that God will accept him. But he didn't know, not, not with absolute certainty. And that is the reason why there are so many religions in this world. Okay? 
Men and women want to be right with God. They want to be approved and accepted by God. They want to, God to look after them and help them, and they want God to accept them when this life is over. And therefore, they set out to do what they feel will make them feel, will, will make them good enough to be acceptable to God. They try to do whatever good they feel is necessary to please their God. Now, this kind of religion is what we call the religion of self-righteousness, of becoming righteous and good as a person can, of earning and meriting God's favor, of working, working one's way into God's presence. But we all know but all, all these are futile efforts. In other words, useless. Why? Because God is perfect. And not a single person in this world is perfect. No person can do enough good to become perfect, no matter what he does. In fact, man is already imperfect. And once perfection is lost, it is lost. Imperfection can never become perfection by itself. Not by the human efforts. Imperfection cannot make perfection. And here is the point. If a person is ever going to live in God's presence, it will be because God loves that person enough to accept him and to transform him into a perfect person. That's the basic of our, the gospel that we preach, isn't it? It is because of the grace of God. In the case of this dear pastor who passed away last weekend, his name is Reverend Ernie Trapokil. His sudden passing into eternity was a glorious one. Do you think when God receives him into his fold, do you think God will say something like this? Hey, Reverend Ernie, isn't it cool that I brought you to heaven while you were receiving your doctorate degree, your honorary doctorate degree? Because you have earned this prestigious award, I'll bring you to heaven. Do you think that God will, will say that? Of course not, right? I don't think so. Because God accepts us, not by our achievements, but through His Son, through the love and grace of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we preach. And at some point in time, in the, in, in the apostle's life, he missed this point. Okay? He was preaching another gospel. He was following rules that are different from what God expects us to do. Paul had never seen the great love of God for man. But here in this, in this passage, we can see his conversion. We can feel his own personal testimony his rejection of self-righteousness and turning to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That was what he was saying here in this passage. Paul said that he had achieved the height of self-righteousness. Paul ranks among the greatest of men who have attempted to work their way into God's presence. Paul did all the good he could to secure God's approval. Yet, it was all to no avail. His goodness and his attainments did not make him acceptable to God. And there is one primary reason. He could not make himself perfect before God. 
Paul says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he put, he made a list of them, right? There are five. There are things that I would like to highlight. He had these privileges of his birth. He was circumcised on the eighth day, okay? Paul was saying that he had the right birth. A true Jewish family always had its male child circumcised when he was just eight days old. Circumcision for them was a sign that a person believed in old and in his promises. In particular, the promise that the Jews were the promised and covenant people of God. Paul was claiming to be a true Jewish believer who had the privilege of believing parents. But Paul was saying here that goodness and righteousness are not found in birth nor in religious rituals and ceremonies. Second, he was a descendant of Israel. Paul was saying that he had the right national heritage and a very special relationship with God. He was born in the right nation among the right people. But Paul was saying here that goodness and righteousness before God are not found in ancestors nor in social superiority. He belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was considered the aristocratic tribe of Israel because of the tribe's loyalty when so many people back then were disloyal and because of the tribe's courageous acts through Israel's history. And Paul was saying here that he was of the highest aristocracy, of the most noble, of the most respectable persons of Israel. But again, Paul says this, nothing. Goodness and righteousness are not found in social or religious status. And yet many people have, brought, have, bought to the, into this, uh, have been brought into this narrative of trying to earn our way to God through our religion, through our national heritage, and so forth and so on. He also had this birth uh, achievements by self-effort. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul claimed to have the right language and the right custom. What Paul meant was that he had the mark of faithfulness. He had deliberately kept the Hebrew tongue and refused to forget it. In his day, this was extremely difficult, for the Jews were literally scattered across the world, and the the world had one common language, and that was Greek. But Paul remained steadfast. He learned and refused to forget the right language. He was loyal to the elect race of God. He was also a Pharisee. Paul claimed to have the right religion, to have been a Pharisee. As you know, Pharisees were strict religionists. So strict, their very name meant to be separated once. Paul said that he, was, he belonged to the strictest religion sect ever known in the world. He devoted his whole life to the most separated and demanding religion ever known to man. And he achieved that. He achieved that separation, an exacting separation from other people. And yet Paul was saying, I cannot attain righteousness before God through my being true to my own religion. He had the seal. You know, he was so zealous and stood and fought for his religion. He hotly pursued and persecuted the church who were following the way of Jesus. Paul had such a zeal for his religion that he sought to wipe out any cause that was different from his. He was also blameless. Paul claimed to be 
faultless and sought to keep the law and had kept the law completely and fully. But then again, in his testimony, Paul was saying that goodness and righteousness are not found in keeping all the rituals and ceremonies of religion. You see, as we reflect on this litany, litany of Paul, of his religious achievements, we can also be tempted to put our trust in things which will do us no good. It may be our church attendance. It may be the fact that our family has been Christians for generations. It may be our national heritage, that we are born into a Christian nation or Christian tradition. But God is interested in none of these things. In fact, quite the reverse. Those who are most religious sometimes are the ones who are most distant from God. And Paul himself testifies to that. According to Paul, he counted all the trophies of religion and culture of his past, even as garbage, in order to gain Christ. And this now brings us to the second point. Okay? Point two, Paul focused on one thing, Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he gives us. Again, that is a basic truth that we need to constantly reflect on. Paul knew that no matter how good he could become, he would never become perfect. He still came short, and he was still doomed to face death. Therefore, his only hope for living forever was the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. He had to trust the righteousness and perfection of Christ to cover him. If God did not do this, he was lost and doomed to death forever. He could never gain perfection. Paul believed with all his heart that if he trusted Jesus Christ, God would take his faith and count it as righteousness. God would honor his commitment to his son by accepting and giving him eternal life. And note these five significant points that I would like to cursory uh, uh, share with you. So Paul was referring to his past experience with Jesus Christ, his conversion experience and there was a time when he had counted or considered his own righteousness as loss he made that decision that all the things that he has done are nothing in the sight of god and so he acknowledged by faith by making that step of faith deciding that jesus christ is the only way the truth and the life and not only that Paul had a present continuous experience with Christ. Okay? He constantly considered all things as loss and waste in order to gain Christ. The word consider there is in the present tense. It means there is that continuous action. When a person has made a decision to seek after Christ, he is to continue to seek, to seek after the knowledge of Christ, to learn all he can about the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. And this happens not in an instant, in one time only. It happens continuously as long as we are on this journey, on this earth. Okay? Paul put this continuous effort to follow Jesus Christ and to know him. And thirdly, Paul sought a future experience with Jesus Christ. Okay? He sought to be found 
in Christ and Christ alone. alone. Paul was looking ahead either to death or to the return of Christ. When he came face to face with God, he wanted to be found in Christ. He wanted to stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not on his own righteousness. Note that the righteousness of God is Jesus Christ himself. The righteousness of God does not refer to behavior or works or deeds of righteousness. A person has to trust the righteousness of Christ to cover him if he wishes to become acceptable to God. And then, fourthly, Paul sought a victorious experience with Jesus Christ. He sought to know Christ, to know His glorious power over the world and all that is in the world. This is one of the greatest verses in Scripture, a verse that should be, you know, I would encourage us to memorize. And that should dominate our life. As clearly seen throughout this whole passage, Paul's pursuit in life is to know Jesus Christ. The verse, this verse spells out exactly what he meant by knowing Christ. First, to know Christ is to know the power of his resurrection. Okay. When God experienced the power to raise, exercised the power to raise Jesus Christ, he conquered the most powerful trial to face, that faces man and that is death. And in conquering death, God demonstrated that He has the power to conquer any trial or temptation of man, and even death in this life. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that God has the power to give man a new life and the power to live a new life in Christ. You see, when it was confirmed that Pastor Ernie or Reverend Ernie has died, the whole, all the participants in the conference gathered together in the mess hall and spent time. You know what they did? They just spent time singing praises to God. They sang the doxology together. There were tears in their eyes, yet they were, you could see in their faces that joyful hope that was etched in their faces. Because of that fact that we are Moving, looking forward to our resurrection with Jesus Christ. Secondly, to know Christ is to know the fellowship of his, um, of his sufferings. That means most of us you know, who are willing to share in the blessings of Christ must also be willing to suffer with Him. That's part of the package. We as believers in Christ should expect that we will be persecuted in one way or the other. Even here on this glorious country, beautiful country, we can experience that in one way or the other. Go to the academic world. There you will see a growing hostility toward Christianity. You will be labeled as bigots, right? We, are, we live in, in a world of political correctness. And part of that experience is to suffer for Jesus Christ. And so we are to suffer with Him as well. And to know Christ is to be made conformable to His death. Okay? We are to conform to His death. Jesus Christ subjected Himself totally to God. He put His own flesh and desires to death. He did only what God willed and desired. Even when He died, His flesh did not desire to die. He did not want to take the sins of the world upon Himself and be separated from God. 
However, he subjected himself to God's will. He said in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember that prayer, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. But let your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. That is the attitude of conforming to the death of Jesus Christ. We are to die to sin. We are to say no to those things that do not reflect Jesus Christ in our lives. And then thirdly, or fifthly, I'm sorry, Paul sought an eternal experience with Christ. He sought to be resurrected from the dead. Paul sought to use all means to commit himself totally for this one great purpose, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul was simply saying what he had already stated. He uses all he is and he has, all the means at his disposal for this one great purpose, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He is totally committed to the glorious day of redemption. He lives his life now for that day and for that day alone. Okay. It reminds me of the time like four or five years ago when we were preparing ourselves to take an oath to be Canadian citizens. And we were given by the government to, to read this booklet and all to, in order to know the benefits and all the responsibilities of, a, of Canadian citizens. And of course, I was so eager to do that. I read all those things, memorized all those facts about Canada and what it means to live as a Canadian. And I tried to live myself in preparation for that glorious event of taking an oath before the judge, right? It already changed me, my perspective, to live like a Canadian. Even though I was not yet a Canadian, I was looking forward to that. And the same is true also with our Christian life. The best is yet to come. But how are we living our lives now? Are we living in preparation for that glorious event of our resurrection with Jesus Christ? We are to live our lives now in light of that not yet in eternity. So my friends, that glorious day of resurrection will be the day when all the believers will have their earthly bodies transformed and recreated into perfect eternal bodies. And we shall live with God forever. Death will be swallowed up in victory. This is not a pie in the sky. Make believe it statement. It is true because it is what the Word of God says. This is what Jesus Christ promised to us. So my friends, do you want to experience and know the true joy in life? Remember. Remember this, this theme. Knowing Christ is knowing joy. Okay. The secret of finding true joy in this world is in Christ Jesus alone. Not on our own achievements. We can all experience joy like the apostle who refused to place any confidence in the things we have achieved or done. We experience true joy only when we realize that we will never be righteous by our own efforts. However, we can gladly accept the righteousness that God freely offers us in Christ Jesus. And so for the family of Pastor Ernie, their sadness was overcome by joy. Not because of Pastor Ernie received 
a glorious honorary degree award, but because he received something far, far better than that. In fact, the best. And that is what Paul is testifying to all of us. And he said, But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Thank you very much.